Hey there, future friends. I did it. I saw Ghostbusters Afterlife. And as a lifelong fan, allow me to regale you with my review, both spoiler-free and after the break, spoiler-filled. Let's get started. My friends, uh, as you know, if you listened to the last episode, I got advanced tickets like like a day in advance. Nothing, nothing crazy. But my wife was very, very kind enough. I did not know this. She was kind enough to put a Google alert for the local area when it comes to Ghostbusters. And she got an alert that there was a early access event at one of our uh, not terribly local, about an hour away venue, uh, IMAX venue. And we got the tickets and we went, we got in and out beforehand. So it was a true California adventure. And if you ever heard someone shitting on in and out usually they're not from California, they don't get the hype. So let me tell you like it is, let me give you the truth about in and out In my opinion, it is the best fast food burger, but their fries are some of the worst. If I don't get their fries animal style, an animal style comes with special sauce, which is just like every place's special sauce, and grilled onions and cheese. Then the fries are okay because you're enjoying this amalgamation of shit on top of it. On their own, their fries are bad. I would say they're worse than Burger King fries, and Burger King has some awful fries. Like, their fry game is really, really bad. I mean, let's be honest, McDonald's really is at the top of the fry game, but only because they're cons consistent and crispy. It wouldn't be hard to take down McDonald's from the top of the fry list. Just one of these companies would have to put some damn effort into it. But my friends, we went and saw this IMAX experience. It was supposed to be an immersive experience. And if you remember, I said it was going to be closed captioned because it said so on the ad. Um, it was not closed captioned. That, that was a lie. Unless there's some new technology I'm not aware of where some people see it closed captioned. Maybe they, I don't know, put on some futuristic fucking glasses or something. I don't know. There was no closed captioning. And immersive experience, maybe that's just their BS way of selling IMAX because there, there was nothing else. Their bar was closed, so my wife couldn't get one of those Ghostbusters cocktails. But I did sneak in some Ecto Cooler and that made the whole night. And my friends, if you ever get to go to an experience like this for a movie, even though it was just the regular movie on an IMAX screen, if you get to, I would definitely go for it. Because the good thing about this was that it was fans. It was full of fans. So they shut the f*** up. As far as I can see, there were no cell phones out. People weren't whispering to each other. Uh, they did cheer and clap and everything during the film, which, okay, you know, okay, I don't really get that because no one from the film is there. But if you want to, do it. If you feel the need, do it. But it was one of the best theater experiences I've ever had because the room was full of people who wanted to be there and people who were ready to like it. Even if their overall experience was they didn't like it for some weird reason because it was a great movie, spoiler alert. Even if their overall experience 
was not great. They at least shut up during the film because they wanted to be there. And I would pay more. I would pay more for a movie ticket if a theater would watch that shit like a hawk. Just have someone up there near the doors watching. Someone pulls out their phone, get the fuck out. If someone starts talking to someone, get the fuck out. Uh, there's this guy I follow on TikTok who talks about working in the, in the in theaters and because he used to work at movie theaters. And he talked about one time there's this guy who was on his phone the whole time, bother, really bothering people. And he was, uh, he got really angry when he was asked to leave. He said, I'm a doctor on call. I need to check my phone. And the, the boss went, yeah, fine. Okay, we'll comp your ticket, but just get out of here, basically. Don't go to a f***ing movie if you are, if there's something going on where you have to look at your phone or you're expecting a really important call, don't go to a movie. And if you still do, you're an asshole. There is no reason to talk or to pull your phone out in a movie because if it's that important, you probably shouldn't be in the theater in the first place. You know, my friends, I knew I was in the right place. I knew I chose, with the help of my wife, of course, the right time to see the movie because there were people in costume. There were people in full Ghostbusters jumpsuits with proton packs. There are people wearing shirts and hoodies, and shoes, and everything with Ghostbusters on it, and I knew that I was in the right place. What I realized, which blew my mind, is that Ghostbusters is my all-time favorite movie. It's one of my favorite cartoons. Uh, I read the comics when I was a kid. I love the comics. I love everything Ghostbusters. I don't own a single Ghostbusters item uh, when it comes to my apparel. Nothing. Star Trek, Marvel... Animaniacs, I have an Animaniacs shirt, but nothing Ghostbusters. So uh, these people put me to shame, though I did bring Ecto Cooler. So, uh, you know, I have that going for me. So just a reminder, my friends, this first part of the review is going to be spoiler free. After the break, I will talk about plot specifics, including the movies and the two after credit scenes. There is a there is a mid credit scene and a stinger. There are two of them. So stay for the whole thing. Because look, unless an emergency came up or you really have to go to the bathroom or something, if it's important enough for you to see something in theaters, it's important enough to stay for those scenes. But let's talk about Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, the basic premise that IMDb gives is when a single mom and her two kids arrive in a small town, they begin to discover their connection to the original Ghostbusters and the secret legacy their grandfather left behind. This stars Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things, McKenna Grace from Annabelle Comes Home, Carrie Coon from Avengers Infinity War, Celeste O'Connor from Freaky, Marlon Kazadi from Riverdale, Bukim Woodbine from Spider-Man Comes Home, and Paul Rudd from I Love You Man, and also returning, and this isn't a spoiler because we knew this beforehand, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, Sigourney Weaver, and Annie Potts. So the only one of the original, the original cast that we saw in the trailer was Annie Potts. Because they needed to give us something. They needed to show us that, yes, these people are going to be in the movie somehow uh, to whet our appetites. And I think the scene they chose was a very, very good scene. It's a quick scene, and it was the perfect thing to make us feel nostalgic. So what I can say that's spoiler-free about the cast is that Bukim Woodbine really isn't in it that much. This movie mainly focuses around McKenna Grace. McKenna Grace is and we know this from the trailer, is one of Egon's grandkids. Finn Wolfhard, McKenna Grace, brother and sister, 
they and their mother, Carrie Coon, move into Egon's farmhouse out in some podunk city in the middle of nowhere because they're broke and they need a fresh start. But this is this rundown house, really, that fresh start. And the fear I had going in, I knew I was going to enjoy the film unless it was awful, like truly awful. But one of my fears and something that could have hindered my enjoyment was this being a kid's film because the the two main people in this are kids. Now, Ken and Grace and Finn Wolfhard are 15 and 18 in real life, but their characters are younger. So my fear was this, this that this was going to be a kid's film. Like, oh, can these two kids get it together to bust the ghosts with the help of the old Ghostbusters? Only time will tell. And maybe they, and maybe one of the kids would do a TikTok dance or dab or something to show how hip they are. And just to show how out of touch the writers were, the director was. But uh, none of that. It, it was none of that. This was a solid movie with a predictable plot. But it was predictable in the best kind of way where it felt satisfying because the the movie was clearly going in one direction and you knew what it was from early on just based on the family needing a fresh start and then also what was Egon doing so far away from anyone he knows because we know from one of the trailers or two of the trailers that Ray still lives in New York. He still has Ray Ray's occult books. We don't know in the trailer what Winston and and uh, Peter are doing. We do know now in the movie. I'll talk about that after the break, of course. But why did he go out there? So these two these two ideas. What was what was Egon doing? And this family needs a new start. And also we have McKenna Grace's character named Phoebe. And she's kind of an outcast, like your typical outcast nerd. She's not really great with people, kind of like someone we know, maybe a little awkward like Egon was. So even though Finn Wolfhard is one of the top billed actors, this really is McKenna Grace's show. And the only reason I build him on my list above McKenna Grace is because IMDb does so. But in IMDb order, we have Carrie Coon, then Paul Rudd, then Finn Wolfhard, then McKenna Grace. Even though Carrie Coon and Paul Rudd were important, but they were supporting characters in McKenna Grace's story. Finn Wolfhard was, was very important too, but not as important as her, not as important as Phoebe. Uh, there's this kid in this named Logan Kim. Uh, he has a character named Podcast. And when I heard his name, I was, um, well, I was scared. I was scared is going to be super Super cheesy or, you know, attack me personally since I have a podcast. But he was a he was a good character. He's a familiar character for a movie with a primarily younger cast. We have this young kid comic relief uh, coming in at the right time with the awkward or unintentionally funny joke. What impressed me was the fact that they were kids, the 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 main Four kids are Phoebe and Trevor, uh, Grace and Wolfhard, podcasts and Lucky, uh, Logan, Kim and Celeste O'Connor. And while the fact they are kids is important for a couple things, like why are they in school or in summer school in this case? And also, why do they have so much freedom just to like go to work and then do whatever the hell they want without any other responsibilities? Oh, it's because they're kids and they're doing their summer thing. Some of them have a summer job. Some of them have, have summer school. 
But I think why this movie worked with kids in it is the fact that, like I said, it wasn't a huge part of the plot. It was important to the plot for different reasons, of course. Uh, the only thing I didn't quite get was we had these scenes featuring uh, featuring more of the adults with Paul Rudd and Carrie Coon, which I understand. I, I simultaneously understand why we needed it in the movie. But also at the same time, when I was watching that scene, I was like, does this need to be this long? Why can't we go right back to what the kids are doing? Because it's far more interesting. You saw that scene in the trailer where Finn Wolfhard is driving the Ecto-1. McKenna Grace shoots out in a gunner's seat with a with a um, Proton Pack's wand in her hand. And they go, uh, they go off chasing this ghost. That whole segment is interrupted by a scene with the mom and the teacher, played by Paul Rudd. The teacher, that is, not the mom. <laughs> and it, I, I don't like it. I don't. It breaks up the excitement of the scene and just kind of, and just kind of brings it to a halt. Even though it continues afterward, it's a weird little respite that I, I didn't quite like. And I warned you a couple times in the show, in the normal show, if you do listen to that to not watch all the trailers because I was able to put together what happened and what was going to happen because of the trailers. And even though I said I didn't care because it was enough fun that the predictability didn't matter, I think I would have been even more blown away by it. I would have been, it would have been even cooler if I couldn't piece so much together. So if you hadn't seen anything past the first trailer yet, don't. And the things I have mentioned that have been in the trailers aren't that big of a deal. So Ghostbusters Afterlife gives us a story that's both familiar and new. It, it is a new story for a new generation that does pay proper homage to the movies that came before it. The movie was funny. It was well acted. The effects looked great. Uh, it just looked beautiful. Whenever the whenever the stream came out of the Proton Pack's wand, it was it was beautiful. The sound effects were the same. Maybe they were a smidge different, but it was close enough that it just gave me nostalgia goosebumps. And I think I cried six times during the film. And while I can't tell you in this part of the show, half of them, I can tell you the half that aren't uh, full of spoilers. The first time hearing the Ecto-1's siren on the big screen was amazing. I, I loved it so much. Watching the characters watch the ad from the original Ghostbusters. You know, the we're ready to believe you ad. That made me choke up. And I think that's the most I can say right now. I feel like I'm kind of losing the plot on my review. Like I'm jumping around too much. But I I just loved it so much. I'm so happy. I want to see it again right now. I will go back to the theater to watch this. I will see it again. Will I see it again with my wife? Will I see it again with a friend? Will I see it again by myself? Sure, why not all three? I will do all three of these. The minute it's released, I will buy the most special edition they offer. And then I will watch it again. Without giving away the ending, what I can say is that the story and its inevitable ending can stand alone. Like, this is it. This is the last Ghostbusters film. It's a satisfying ending, or it could spawn more sequels and well-deserved sequels. And that is very hard to do because 
Jason Reitman and everyone involved, they don't know if they're doing a sequel yet. I know they would like to, but they're waiting to see how well this movie does and what the reception is. And it's not an easy task to do something that can be a standalone and and be an end to a series that is simultaneously a good ending or a good launching point for something new. Just to give you an idea about how well it's doing so far, I am recording this on Saturday, and Ghostbusters Afterlife has officially been out for two days, not including early releases and pre-screenings and showings like that, but officially out nationwide, worldwide, for two days. And the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes has a thousand plus verified ratings at 96%. That group of ballsack soup that call themselves critics give it a 61%. And my friends, this is one of the reasons that I don't like being called a critic, even though I do critique movies, because I'm also thrown in the mix with asshole like this. And that's also one of my problems with Letterboxd. I'm on Letterboxd. I use it to keep track of all the movies I watch and what I think of them. And I do follow some people that I like their reviews. But Letterboxd is also used by dickheads who think they're critics. Because I looked at three random uh, reviews on Letterboxd. And I don't think those people watch the same movie I did. I also think that they went into it with their hearts closed. If you listen to my Red Notice review, I talked about how you can't review a movie like Red Notice the same you would something like Citizen Kane or hell, even uh, let's go with Black Klansman, Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, Lighthouse, The Witch, movies like that that present itself different. And even though I love Ghostbusters more than any other movie out there, I can admit that it's not the kind of film you should critique like you would something you would want to call art. It is a film that is fun. And this is fun too. This captures the magic of the first movie perfectly. This has a story that kept me glued to my seat. This had characters I cared deeply about. And what what made me so excited was what I knew was coming because you know what's coming. Because they start dropping hints as to part, like a, a, just a small part of the ending very early on. Okay, maybe not very early, maybe halfway, but still, movies like Red Notice, movies like the Fast and Furious franchise, movies like Ghostbusters Afterlife are exactly the reason you should ignore critics. Who gives a shit what those heartless, soulless bastards like? Because they don't know what fun is is they don't know what it's like just to enjoy a movie remember that scene in dead poet society where robin williams tells them to tear out the page on critiquing poetry that just that scene ghostbusters afterlife was funny ghostbusters afterlife was tense it was happy it was sad it it got me excited it made me think anything that a movie can do this movie did to me my friends, when I try and think of a score for a movie, or if you follow me on Bookstagram or anything like that for a book too, I try not to give my score right away. I, I like to stew on it a bit, unless I really hate it. In that case, uh, I, I, my, my instincts are usually right when it comes to things I, I don't like. Both Ghostbusters Afterlife, when I was leaving the theaters, 
uh, I turned to Anne and we, we were talking about what we thought. And I, I said, okay, a 9.5, because there were some parts I weren't too thrilled on, but overall it was really good. But the more I thought about it, the more I think the score is higher because it's been three days since I've seen the movie. And I still, I still think about it. I still vividly remember scenes, scenes we'll talk about in the next part. But this, the movie stays with me. And I still want to see it again and again and again. It still makes me happy thinking about it. And that's important because even though I can, as a critic, be able to critique the film and think that, oh, the pacing uh, kind of suffered due to that scene with Carrie Coon and Paul Rudd or wonder why they didn't make different creative decisions. I can think about those things, but the important part is the cold hard fact is that the joy this movie brought me the happiness it brought me outweighs all of that was there kind of a lull in the middle yes i don't care i don't care would i have loved it more if i hadn't critiqued those things yeah of course but this movie brought me true joy and it made me so excited and it made me feel so many feelings that my few critiques do not matter at all because the pure joy and love I had for this film is the most important thing. I always say that you don't have to like a film that even if I think a film is great, I can understand that some, that people don't have the same tastes that I get it. I enjoyed red notice quite a bit, but I also said that, Hey, if you don't like that kind of film, I, I fully get it. And if you don't like it, I get it. I just really judge people who watch the film and judge it knowing that they should never have watched it in the first place. Easy peasy. But with this film, if it doesn't at least personally from you get an eight or maybe even lowest a 7.5, then I truly wonder if you can experience joy. A little caveat to that. Assuming you and you love the Ghostbusters movies, because what made this movie so great for me was my love of the other Ghostbusters films. My friends, if you liked the first two Ghostbusters, watch this. It's so good. It, it is an amazing film. It's an amazing film in the sense that it, it captures so much magic of the original without coming off too try hard. And also while paying proper homage to the original film, I'm, I'm at a loss for words now to put my love for this in any other way. Like I said, originally leaving the theater, I was going to give it like a 9.5, but sitting with it, marinating in my, in my afterglow of the film, replaying scenes in my head and how I felt. This is the perfect reboot. And Ghostbusters Afterlife gets an 11 out of 11. All right, my future friends, let us take our break. Hear word from our friends of the show, and they'll be right back with the spoiler part of the episode. So once again, this is your last warning to uh, to stop listening. I'd appreciate it if you listen to the ads, though, for my friends. But uh, don't say I didn't warn you. We'll be right back. Are you looking for a nerd podcast that touches on every walk of nerd culture? Well, look no further. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is the podcast for you. We cover nerd culture, news, new movie reviews, bad movie reviews, video games, comics, with sprinkles of nerdy nostalgia throughout. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is a flagship podcast of the Somewhat Nerdy Podcast Network. Find us on every podcast app or stream it on somewhatnerdy.com. Good journey, nerds. 
There are several ways to raise money for a good cause. Some do it by running marathons. Some host high dollar dinners. And some just do it by clever internetting. We here at the Watch Your Mouth Podcast employ a different approach. Wall-to-wall filthy f***ing language. Go to a grocery store, I'm like, I know exactly what I need. I get in there, I'm like, Yeah, the did I even come here for? With our charity swear jar, every f***ed up utterance from our unfettered gobs is a dime in the right direction. The motherfucker's a mouth breather. Gaming, movies, life musings, it's all here. Served on a bed of f***s and garnished with a crown of Shut the f*** up! How the f*** did we get here? F*** all that goddamn jelly bean! So if you want to hear us do good things with bad words, check out the Watch Your Mouth podcast on iTunes. SoundCloud, Facebook, or online at WIMpodcast.com. And remember, swearing is caring, so watch your mouth. Hi, I'm Lisa. And I'm Robbie. And we host a show called We're We're Doing Doing Fine. Fine. We're friends from across the ocean. I'm from Scotland. And I'm from California. Join us every week as we chat about biscuits. You mean cookies. Brexit. Whatever's going on here. Who knows? Almost dying. Why we're single popular culture and basically everything and anything that can distract us from this postmodern hellscape we're all living in because we're We're doing doing fine welcome back to the show and it's time for that part where i talk about the movie more in depth involving some spoilers and i'm really really hoping that you have seen the movie already because i know there's some people who don't mind spoilers i get it i have a, uh, a good friend of mine will actively look for information on the movie before he goes and sees it. I know that some people with anxiety like to look it up too because it, it makes the movie experience better for them. And th- that's fine. I-, I am not judging you. That is fine. That is your thing. Especially if it has something to do with mental health. Uh, with my friend, it does not. I have another friend at work that wants to tell me everything about... I have a friend at work that wants me to tell him everything about a movie. And um, he says it doesn't affect his enjoyment. And to be fair, if I if I knew everything that was going to happen when it came to Ghostbusters Afterlife, I, I still would have loved it. And I know that I even said that I was able to put together a lot of the plot from the trailer. And normally that would have bothered me. That is a sloppy trailer. But the good thing is with Ghostbusters, it didn't matter. Because even though I did see a lot of it coming and I was right... The ride was still so fun. It was still such a fun time getting to that place. So the movie starts off with who we can assume we never see him straight on, but who is Egon Spengler driving a old beat up truck away from a mountain that has some clouds hovering above it. Kind of like when Gozer came to New York, that that kind of situation. And he gets to his house. It's the farmhouse we're going to see in the movie. And you can tell he set up some sort of trap and he's being chased by a demon dog at part. I I believe, I believe he's being chased by a demon dog. Well, by two things, a demon dog and Gozer. Uh, So he captures one of the demon dogs in a trap and he's kind of holding it as bait. And we can, we notice that he has some sort of trap and it doesn't work. And so he kind of resigns himself to this. He goes inside, he hides the trap and he sits down in a chair and then that arm thing that happened to Dana in the first one, Dana Barrett, happens to him and the door blows open. Someone comes in and kills him. I knew from the very beginning 
And if you all saw it, I bet you knew too that that would come back into play. Why show us this huge, elaborate trap that he put together if it wasn't going to somehow play into the end? And we know it does. You know what? I just want to talk about that final scene. That that final scene was so good. It was so, so good. The showdown with Gozer was, it was amazing. It was everything I wanted. Because we had McKenna Grace, Finn Wolfhard, and uh, the others trying to do what Egon had done. We have the mother and we have Paul Rudd as the, as the terror dogs. Because we knew the terror dogs were coming back. We saw them in the movie. Or in the trailer, that is. And even though I thought some of the scenes between the mom and Paul Rudd didn't need to be there, I thought it could have been streamlined a little more. I do see why they thought it was relevant because it shows that they have this relationship and then so they get possessed and they do the hokey pokey and they turn themselves around because that was a very purposeful choice by the people, uh, by Jason Reitman, by Dan Aykroyd, by everyone who who worked on the film because it's it's one of those things you don't really think about with the first one that Dana Barrett and Lewis Tully did the deed to summon Gozer. Louis Tully, kind of an awkward nerd, obviously has a thing for her. Uh, not not creepy per se, just awkward. And then she obviously doesn't have feelings for him. And you, you can tell by number two, he gets over that very quick. So probably more infatuation with a beautiful woman than anything. But this fact that they both get possessed and they end up having sex, that wouldn't fly in in today's world that that wouldn't fly it would be it would add a level of ick to a modern movie so the fact that we have these two people who are really hitting it off and had the world been normal may actually have hooked up by that point it makes it more okay or we're able to ignore the fact that it happened against their will because they were possessed but they were also okay with it and since they were okay with it, it somehow makes it less bad. But anyway, with that with that final showdown, we have one of the terror dogs, the one in the mom, uh, in the trap. And we have the other one on its way. And then we have Gozer who's trying, who, is already, who has already been summoned. But we have Gozer who's trying to hold it together on the corporeal plane, who's trying to stay in our world. And... McKenna Grace knows the whole setup, but she doesn't know. She doesn't know that it didn't work. She doesn't know that Egon's plan failed for one reason or another. We know, though, because it was a lack of power, that the power died. She does not know this. So it gets so tense at that point. It's exciting and it's intense because she's so close to doing it, but also it's not going to work. We know it's not going to work. But then... Things are starting to turn bad. They're getting overpowered. But then who turns up but the original Ghostbusters? Peter, Ray, Winston, they're there. And just right off the bat, Bill Murray's delivery and lines. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ad-libbed his lines too, just like he did with the first two movies. But it's it brings you back. It brought me back so much to the the first time I saw Ghostbusters just laughing at his at, at him at the way he did everything it felt so natural seeing and hearing Bill Murray again 
And what he was saying was still so true to character. And the amazing callbacks when Gozer asks them if they are gods and Ray looks at both of them and Winston just goes, come on, man. So then the Ghostbusters try to do their thing, but they can't keep Gozer down. And if you're anything like me, you knew right away it's because they're missing that fourth person. They're missing their fourth member. So McKenna Grace gets in there again with her proton pack and they start to do it. But she's starting to be pushed back by by Gozer's power. And then you see those spectral hands come around and wrap around her hands. And then you see the ghost behind her, and it's Harold Ramis with some very good CG. I mean, it's not perfect, but it was so good that my suspension of disbelief kicked right in. And that scene served in so many ways because Egon was viewed as an ass who betrayed his friends. He was viewed as a bad husband and father because he just abandoned the family. But now we know why he did it. We know that he sacrificed everything to try and stop the coming of Gozer. Again, we knew that he tried to get help from the other Ghostbusters, but they didn't believe him. And we knew that he probably didn't want to bring his family into it. So he left them to do it on his own and it cost him. So when his ghost comes back to help McKenna Grace, it serves twofold. It serves twofold to show that, yes, he is a loving family member. He is a loving father and grandfather that he is there to support his family and that he is there because he does have unfinished business. He needs to stop Gozer. And he shows up at the nick of time because it's all about to go bad again. And then everything snaps into place. Podcast gets the mini Stay Puff Marshmallow Men off of everything and gets gets stuff going again. Finn Wolfhard starts to, uh, or is about to use his proton pack on Gozer, but then sees the the power station that Egon had set up and realizes that he could power it with the unlicensed nuclear accelerator on their backs the power gets turned on to all of the ghost traps set out in that field and they kick on and the mom like hits the thing and they all they all open and it's beautiful this scene was not only very well done in a storytelling sense it was it was beautifully shot it looked great I I still have the scene burned into my head of a half corporeal gozer just like falling down to one knee in the field, getting hit by the uh, by the proton pack streams. And I, I still vividly remember that. And if you've been listening to the show for any amount of time, I've probably said more than once that I have a very bad memory. And that's part of why I can't really go scene for scene with Ghostbusters. I mean, kind of, I think I can, but I think I'd be rambling too much just because even with movies I love, I have a hard time remembering the specifics. Like Ghostbusters, I remember very well. Character names, plot details, I, I can pick that stuff up, but it's been my favorite movie since I have since I was a child. Another one of my favorite movies is Gladiator, and and if you ask me to write out the plot, it's going to get a little fuzzy in the middle. 
But for me, so many days after, because I'm recording this part of the show on uh, on Monday, and it's been five days now, and I still vividly see it. I still get emotional thinking about seeing Egon behind McKenna Grace helping her. I still hear the Ecto-1 siren in my head. I I still remember so much of this movie, and I think it's because it was so good, and it was the perfect sequel or reboot. Because when all those traps open, and Gozer and the other terror dog gets sucked into it, and, and the the clouds uh, above and the little storm that's above the house goes away. It's it's all so amazing and so well done. It looks so good. I've said this before in this episode, and I've said it many times before on the show. I did like 2016's Ghostbusters. It is a fun sci-fi comedy. I think part of the ways that movie failed is because if you took the Ghostbusters aspect out of it and just had them be... Uh, some other non-licensed group of ghost hunters, uh, it wouldn't affect it. And even though I say I find the movie entertaining and I like it, that is a bad sign. That I didn't like it because it was something Ghostbusters per se. I bet that had a lot to do with it. But also because it was a funny and enjoyable movie, regardless of the Ghostbusters name, What where this film if you took Ghostbusters out of it, I still think it's a well-done film. It has a very good plot. It has good characters. It just It's beautifully shot. It's paced remarkably well. But if you take the Ghostbusters part out of it, you lose the heart. You lose the heart of the movie. As soon as McKenna Grace steps into Egon's old house... Uh, Phoebe is her name. As soon as Phoebe stands in the old house, she notices something's, something's a little off. And from that very first night with the chessboard as a way that Egon is reaching out to her and communicating and telling her he's there to that final scene where he hugs his daughter, uh, Phoebe's mom, and the, and the other Ghostbusters talk to him and they all get that closure. It's such a good story. I talk a lot, especially in my Red Notice review, I, t- I talk a lot about how you can forgive a movie that's not good if it's fun. But what happens when you have a movie that's both good and fun? That's what this was. It was a fun film, but it had so much heart. There was so much th- there was so much going on, and not in a sense that it gets, gets overwhelming, but there's just so much going on. In the fact that we had these separate stories that in a true movie format slowly came together and ended at the end. And it was a really good ending. I don't know how I would change it. I I don't. Okay, you know what? Maybe even not make it longer. Because I would love for more Ghostbusters. If you made a four-hour, five-hour Ghostbusters movie, yeah, I'm going to really have to pee by the end. But I will see it. But this movie was so well done. The plot was so well thought out. Everything was so balanced that I don't know if just having more of it would have made it better. It's kind of like a thing where you don't know if a piece of art is done because there's nothing left to put in, but there's nothing left to take out. I would, I don't think there's anything I'd take out. Even though I said I wasn't a big fan of the scenes with Paul Rudd and the mom, just because I, I think it, 
took focus off McKenna Grace and Finn Wolfhard a little bit, who were the, the main part of the story, I do see why they did it. So even though I was critical of like the date scene, I don't think I would move it. I, I don't think I would. The first Ghostbusters will always be my favorite movie. Will always be my favorite movie. I love it. I love it so, so much. This movie is definitely on my list of favorite movies now. Even though I love Ghostbusters and nothing is going to dethrone it, I think Ghostbusters Afterlife had a better story. Ghostbusters wins in the nostalgia game and the fact that it does hold up to this day. I mean, did Peter get a little creepy? Yeah, sure. Okay. By today's standards, but also not cancel worthy. Did he shock that guy in the experiment in the very beginning just to try and hit on one of his students? Yeah. Is that creepy? Yeah, it's a little creepy. But it's not like something like Revenge of the Nerds where you watch it and go, oh, no, that's not right. Revenge of the Nerds is really bad in that sense. And Ghostbusters is just is just very ignorable. Because it something like that can be counted as a sign of the times. So yes, Ghostbusters does hold up to this day, and it's still good. It has a good, entertaining story. It's funny. It's thoroughly enjoyable. But by the quality of story, Ghostbusters Afterlife wins. And that is very impressive. I'm going to say it. My official order is Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters Afterlife, Ghostbusters 2, Ghostbusters 2016. If I had to choose, like if you made me only choose two, I would pick Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters Afterlife as my two. I love Ghostbusters 2. Don't get me wrong. I, I am a fan. But Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters Afterlife forms such a good story. And the ending, especially when you find out that Winston is not only super rich and he helps out Ray with his rent, but he bought the firehouse and he's bringing the Ecto-1 to it. And you see that something's wrong with a containment unit in the basement. That could be a launching point for a new movie series. For two more, make it a trilogy, wrap it up. Or it could leave you knowing that, yes, they came back, they did more. Jason Reitman said that he wants to do another movie, but he wants to see how this one will be received first. Well, it's being received really well. Ignore the critics. Listen to the fans. Listen to me. Because if they didn't do a good job, I would have been livid. And I love, love this film. I can't wait to see it again. Look, if you come to me for your movie reviews, thank you. I hope you realize that I love films and I want to like films. I don't want to shit on them and critique the hell out of them. But that's also why I can say I loved something classic like The Godfather, Casablanca, and then also turn around and say I love the Princess Switch movies on Netflix. Last night, I actually watched a Lifetime original Christmas movie and I enjoyed it. So my friends, if you have a choice between being like me and being like those other people, come to my side. It's more fun. My future friends, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I will be back with the next episode, a regular one, talking about all the movies coming out during the week. And if you haven't seen Ghostbusters Afterlife, go see it. I'll see you soon. 
Hey, feature friends, let me interrupt myself and tell you that there's actually not going to be a regular episode this week, despite what I just said. Uh, and oddly enough, this is a good week for movies, too. Let me just tell you some of the bigger ones. House of Gucci, Nationwide, Encanto, the uh, Disney Pixar new movie, Nationwide, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City, which looks pretty damn good, Nationwide, uh, Bruised is finally coming out, the Netflix Halle Berry uh fighting movie where she, you know, fights and does stuff. 8-Bit Christmas on HBO Max. A Castle for Christmas with Brooke Shields and Carrie Always on Netflix. And an interesting indie called Licorice Pizza is getting a limited release that expands on Christmas. Starring Alana Haim, I think is how you say it, from the band Haim or Haim? 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 Something like that. Oh, and there's a Beatles documentary coming out on Disney Plus uh, called The Beatles Get Back. The pick of the week is, of course, House of Gucci. Uh, I am really excited for Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. But come on, Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Al Pacino, Jeremy Irons, Jared Leto, Jack Houston, and Salma Hayek. God damn, is that a cast. So I will see you next week uh, after Thanksgiving. And I hope you have a wonderful holiday, whether you spend it with family, friends, or you just relax. I hope you enjoy it. I'll see you next week. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and any podcast app, as well as the Somewhat Nerdy website. That is somewhatnerdy.com. I would really appreciate it if you take a few minutes out of your day to give the podcast a rating. I would love five stars, please. And also, share the podcast. Share with your friends. That is how we grow here on the show. And then how do you reach me? That is a great question. You can leave a comment for me on the Somewhat Nerdy website or Facebook page. You can leave a comment on SoundCloud. You can hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at BilliamSWN. You can email me at BilliamReviews at gmail.com. And please consider supporting the show on Patreon. You can find a link in the show notes and also on the Somewhat Nerdy site. Be sure to check out the other shows in the network, Somewhat Nerdy Radio and Nerds of the Squared Circle. Don't forget to support the friends of the show. You've heard their ads tonight. Please check out my personal blog, BilliamTheNerd.com. And then finally, my dear friends, my dear, dear listeners, my future friends, please remember that no matter where life takes you, no matter what your week has in store, just take some time to catch a flick. I'm Billion from Somewhat Nerdy signing off, and I'll see you in the future. <laughs>